church leadership. Precisely what it is, who set it up, and why is the subject of our time today here on Graceful Truth. Hello, and welcome to the broadcast. We would invite you to join us for the next half hour as we take a look at God's design for the church and how it is to be led and why. It's all straight ahead on today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Steve Converse. And again, greetings and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. As mentioned, we're in the middle of a series on church leadership taken from the book of Titus. And today, we want to focus in on the leadership as it relates to elders, what an elder is and what an elder should do and why and how are elders selected and set up. It's all straight ahead on today's program. Please join us for this edition of Graceful Truth once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. Well, let's look at this word elder because it was adapted from the commonly used Jewish term for leadership. That's really what it meant. It referred to mature men who, by the virtue of their wisdom and their experience, provided leadership in the various different communities there in Israel. And it's applied to church leaders. Elder emphasizes the character of the man. You have to understand that. It emphasizes the character of the man. He must be spiritually mature as reflected in consistent godly character. And we're going to go over some of those traits next week. He's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But the Bible clearly speaks of the character when it uses the word elder. It's not talking about age. Make that clear. It's not talking about somebody's age. That's why Paul had to write Timothy in in 1 Timothy 4.12. And he told him, hey, you know what? Don't, don't let people look down on your youth. He was an elder. He was a pastor. He was involved in ministry. He was a young man. And Paul had to write him and encourage him. Hey, don't let these older guys push you around. You do what God wants you to do. He's probably in his mid-30s, so he wasn't 18. But on the other hand, the Bible doesn't give an age requirement for elders. The term may be somewhat relative to that particular church as well. And what do I mean by that? You know, we go down in the springtime down to uh, Grace Community Church and we go to the Shepherds Conference. And sometimes, you know, we talk to, uh, have a chance to sit in or talk to some of their elders at their church. I mean, it just blows your mind. I mean, most of them have at least a master's degree, if not a doctorate degree in something, plus another master's degree or a doctorate degree in some theological thing because they have the seminary there and they go through that. I mean, you know, they've written books. I mean, compared to our little church, I mean, we're totally out of their leg. (laughs) Okay. I mean, we never qualify in that church just because of of the scope and the ministry of that church. So it's almost to that particular church, whatever it was. If you go start a brand new church, and you plant a church, and maybe have yourself and somebody else, all right, your, your level of kind of a qualification for elders is going to be lighter than someone at Grace Community Church. Now, you don't compromise on the characteristics we're going to talk about next week. The character issues, the, the consistent godly character issues, those kind of things, you don't compromise that. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is as far as Each church has its own pool to draw from. And so the term is somewhat relative to each church. The man may qualify as an elder 
in a church composed of relatively new believers, but he may not qualify in a, in a church that's been around for 100 years. And, you know, most of the, the people in that church have, have PhDs. So the New Testament frequently refers to the elders of these various churches. The church in Jerusalem had elders. You can look in Acts chapter 11, 29, uh, chapter 15. I mean, it goes on and on. Paul and Barnabas were quick to appoint elders. Acts 14, 23 tells us in the churches that they founded on their, their missionary journey. When Paul wrote to the believers scattered throughout the region of modern Turkey, he addressed the elders among them as a fellow elder, 1 Peter chapter 1. Even in the Philippian church, they had elders. They were called overseers, but we're going to look at that term next. And they also had deacons. We're not going to get into deacons today, but maybe we'll hit on that next week. So that's the first term that we find in the Bible used as for leadership in the church, elders. Second one there in your outline is overseers. Overseers. Elders and overseers are basically used interchangeably throughout Scripture. They refer to the exact same office. Overseer, episkopos. We get the word episcopal, that denomination. And it refers to those who are appointed by the emperor to lead captured or newly found city-states. Those, when they would go to war, they would capture people and they would appoint elders or overseers to kind of rule those people. And it looks at the function of the elder, namely to superintend, watch over, guard the local church. Same, same role. Overseer, elder, same thing. Later in church history, the term came to refer to the, singular, the, the single bishop or the overseer of a certain city. And he was over all the other pastors. They all of a sudden, they set up kind of a hierarchy. You know, you have bishops and you have overseers. You have those kind of things. That's where the, the Roman Catholic, the Episcopal Church, even the Anglican Church practiced that system of government. But in the New Testament, there's no difference between an elder and an overseer. The two words are used for the same group of men. Thirdly, pastors. The, the noun pastor, which is very interesting, basically it just means what? Shepherd, right? It just means shepherd. You know, it only occurs once in the New Testament as a noun with reference to church leaders. It only occurs once. And it's coupled with pastor-teacher. That's in Ephesians 4.11. More frequently, you'll find that word shepherd or pastor as a verb. So Paul exhorted the Ephesian elders, be on guard in Acts 20 for yourselves and for the whole flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd or pastor the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Those words are just interchangeable once again. Shepherd, pastor, overseer, elder. Elders are called overseers, but they do the work of shepherding the church. The same three occur in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 3, where Peter writes, Therefore I exhort elders among you as your fellow elder. Then he says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. See, they're all, they're all mentioned there. According to the will of God. So the elders are to shepherd the flock of Christ by exercising oversight. They have authority over those allotted to their charge. But they're not to lord it over them. See, this is where, where you have to be careful. But rather, they're to lead by example. It, it always troubles me when I hear pastors or elders talking about people within their church saying, you know, these people just won't submit. 
It's like, well, you got a problem then, pal. Because if they're not submitting, that means they're not following. And more than likely, that means somehow you're not leading in a spiritual manner. So we have to be careful how we view that, how we, how we use that. But the elders to shepherd the flock, exercising oversight, leading by example. And then the fourth term here quickly is leaders. Leaders. The terms used in Hebrews 13, 17, where the church is commanded, obey your what? Obey your leaders, right? And submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give account. Let them also do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So when you think of submitting to leaders or leadership within the church, you have to understand it's one that they're keeping watch over your souls. And you know what? They're going to have to give account on that day. How did they lead? Did they do it with false motives? Did they do it for greedy, for gain? What did they do? What was their motivation? They're going to have to answer more than someone who's not a leader. That's very clear. That's why it's so, so important that we understand that this is not a game we play every Sunday. This is very serious stuff when it comes to God. What we do as a body when we come together. You know, it's not just, you know, thrown together and we come together and kind of, ah, well, whatever happens, no. There's a purpose. There's a direction. There's, there's songs that are sung for a reason. There's times of prayer for a reason. There's times of, of greeting for a reason. You know, it's not, not just thrown in there like, hey, you know, I, oh, I don't have anything to do for five minutes. I'll let them greet each other. That'll take up five minutes. No, there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to everything we do here on a Sunday morning. There's a, there's a purpose for our fellowship afterwards. You know, it's not just to go over there and feed your face. It's, it's the fellowship. <laughs> All right? There's a purpose. Why would we do that? I mean, you know, I could very easily check out after I preach a message and just get in my car and go home. I'd be okay with that, to be honest with you. I'm just that kind of personality. All right? I, I would kind of enjoy that, actually. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to interact. We're called to fellowship. See, everything has a purpose, and we have to lead by example. And when we don't, we're going to give account for it one day. Well, second question, what should elders do? Or what do elders do? In one sentence, elders should work together to exercise oversight and shepherd God's flock in a given local church. So they should work together to exercise oversight and shepherd God's flock in a given local church. Let's look at that first point. Elders should shepherd God's flock. Elders should shepherd God's flock. When you think of a picture of a shepherd and his flock, that basically gives you the picture of the different functions of church leaders. The shepherd led his flock to rich pasture. All right, where hopefully they could feed. He had to get them something to eat. The elders' role, one of their primary roles, is to feed the Word of God to God's people. That's what it is. Now, while all elders must know the Scriptures well enough to be able to teach, 1 Timothy 3.2 says that. Okay, that's very clear. So that they can exhort and sound doctrine and refute anybody that contradicts. Titus 1.9. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that all elders have 
some supernatural gift or some gift to teach in a public arena. All elders don't have to get up here behind a pulpit and teach. That's not necessarily one of the requirements. They have to be able to teach. They have to know Scripture. But it doesn't mean they have to be a teacher or preacher. Okay? Maybe they're better in groups. Maybe they're better one-on-one. They can teach one-on-one. That's fine. Because we're all gifted in different ways. Over in 1 Timothy, turn over there, 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul indicates here that some elders, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, look at what it says. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. What is Paul saying here? Paul is indicating that some elders devote themselves to a life of work in preaching and teaching. They walk away from everything else, and they say, you know what, I'm going to, I sense God's calling me to this. We call it full-time ministry. I don't like that term because we're all <laughs> supposed to be ministering full-time, right? The only difference is someone who walks away from their secular job or their way of income to commit to the church and trust the church to provide for their needs, all right? It's a matter of, of just feeling God leading you down that road. It says that they should be compensated financially so that they can carry out that work. You say, well, couldn't you just work a full-time job and do the same thing? You know what? Yeah, I probably could. I probably could. I've done it before. That's not the issue. The issue is this. Could I do it as effectively I would probably say probably, just because I'm the only person here, the, pa- the only pastor here, so I'm kind of multiple hats anyway. But I guess my point is, is simply this, is that the reason that, that God has allowed this, I don't view this as a right. I don't view this as an occupation. I don't view what I do, and I don't do what I do here at this church for a check. Very clear you understand that. What's the motivation? That's, that's a bonus. <laughs> that's purely a bonus on top of, of, of serve, getting to do what I do full time and to serve the Lord. I think that you have to understand that. I mean, you can make a lot more money out in the secular world doing a variety of different jobs than you could ever make in ministry. I'm not here playing a violin for you. I'm just stating the fact. All right? God has provided very well for us here through this this small little church. It's amazing. And yet, you know what? If the elders came to me next week and said, you know what? Sorry, Steve. We don't have the money to pay you anymore. What would be my, oh, sorry. I got to go. You know, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called to be full time. See you later. I'll find somebody else to pay me. No. I go get a job. That's what I do. It would be that simple. It wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think about it because it goes back to the motivation. See, Paul indicates that some elders devote themselves. They, they, they're willing to sacrifice a good salary with benefits and retirement and everything and just come over here and say, you know what, I'm just going to trust God to work this out. Shepherding the flock also involves caring for the flock. 
binding up the wounds of the injured. Sometimes even physically. (laughs) Nursing the sick back to health. Helping the young grow in health and maturity. James 5.14 tells us that elders are to pray for the ill. Personally, I really believe that means not necessarily physically ill, but spiritually ill. I don't have time to go into it this morning, but that's my view on that. And for all the church we're called to pray for, Acts 6.4. We're called to disciple younger men. We're, we're called to, to take those who are new in their faith and take them alongside and say, hey, let's, let's get you grounded. Let's spend time. Train future leaders. We have to be gentle in our exhortations and encourage each one, almost as a, as a mother would encourage her child. It's not necessarily hard to do those things. It's not, I, w- I would say it's not a burden to do those things. But what troubles you is when you don't do all those things perfectly. Because <laughs> you know one day you're going to give an account. It, it's very serious, the role of an elder in the local church. He needs to shepherd God's flock. And there's things that go on in churches. You know, you, you see the, 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 you know, the, the, the top layer. <laughs> you know, there's things that go on behind the scenes that as elders we have to deal with sometimes on a weekly, sometimes a monthly basis that are just heart-wrenching issues. But that's what we're called to do. Don't always enjoy it, but that's what God calls us to do. So, secondly, elders should give oversight to the flock. And this refers to the general superintendents of the life of the church. General superintendents of the life of the church. The elders must keep their finger on the pulse of the church. What's going on? Making sure that, okay, we're growing spiritually, not just numerically. See, that may involve guarding the flock from error. Okay, that may involve hearing somebody talking about a certain book, and you know that book's not a good book. Or somebody that wants to get aligned with some other ministry. And we, we know that, wow, that's not a good ministry. It's, it's our role to come alongside and say, hey, here's why we, we don't think that's a good choice. That's part of our role. Giving oversight to the flock. Guarding the flock from error. Determining church policies. Making decisions about the needs and direction of the church. Overseeing church finances. Coming alongside ministry leaders and giving them guidance and help. Working to resolve conflicts between members. And there's a lot of other things that elders do. But it's general oversight. And then thirdly, elders should work together to exercise oversight and shepherd God's flock. Why did you make a point of this? Simply this. Leadership of any local church should be plural. It's not one man in charge of anything. It's plurality of leadership. Plurality. Every time the term elder is used in the New Testament with regard to a single local church, it is plural. You can do the word study your own. We don't have time to go into it. But it's there. And so it's it's very important that we understand that the model is a plurality of biblical, spiritually brethren men who lead the local church and serve as elders. Watchman Nee wrote this. He said, To place the responsibility in the hands of several brethren rather than in the hands of one individual is God's way of safeguarding his church against the evils that result from the domination of a strong personality. God has purposed that several brothers should unitedly bear responsibility in the church so that even in controlling its affairs, they have to depend upon one another 
and submit to one another. So it, it's very important that we, we understand that. We're called to honor one another as elders. We're called to trust one another. We're called to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so we have that plurality of elders. Now, that does not mean that when you have a group of men together, that one man will, will lead, kind of emerge as the leader. That's the way it was in the apostles, right? I mean, you had 12 men. Well, who, was, who kind of came, up, came above the, the, the surface? There is the leader. Peter clearly is described as the leader and the most frequent spokesman. In the early church in Jerusalem, James, the half-brother of our Lord, was clearly the leader. When you had Paul and Barnabas working together, Paul usually took the lead. Um, and yet, all those men came together around the council of Jerusalem, and the leaders worked together, and they arrived at a unified decision about the important matters at hand. And when you talk about making decisions at that level in the local church, the elders' decision-making process is unanimous. Okay, we don't have a group of six men who come together and say, what do you think? Okay, well, let's vote. Okay, four to two. Ah, we got it. No, it's got to be unanimous. You mean everybody's got to agree? That's exactly right. That's how serious decision-making in the local church should be taken. It's not a popularity contest. Debate goes on. If, if one brother says, you know, I just, I'm not seeing this. I appreciate your input, but I just, in my heart, there's something there that says I, we, we shouldn't do this. God uses multiple leaders as they come together. And it's so important that we, we get that right. And the, the decision-making process is one through unanimous consent after prayer and seeking the Lord's wisdom and applying biblical principles. Um, that's why, you know, in Titus, we're going to look at this next week, elders shouldn't be self-willed. They're quick-tempered. Now, none of us are perfect in that way. I've been quick-tempered at times. I'll admit that. I've even been self-willed, for sure. So, you know, but when it comes to making decisions in the local church, if you've got an elder on your, your board that says, you know what, it's my way or the highway, that's not going to fly. This is not going to work. We're not called to be that way. We need to work together in humility and mutual respect. doesn't mean we don't have some heated discussions at times. We do. I mean, think about it. Anybody that's going to take on a task to be an elder... More than likely, they're probably a type A personality anyway. Okay, they're kind of driven. So they get together with other type A personalities. What happens? Well, you know, you start talking. <laughs> Things start, start happening. They can heat it up real quick unless you're under the, 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 the care and the, the uh, control of the Holy Spirit. Well, third thing here quickly, how are elders chosen? I trust that by this point you're catching on. There's a little bit of difference between the, the world's way of government and the, the church's way of government. But just in closing, the idea of the church voting a man into leadership because he's popular or because he's a likable guy or because he's a successful businessman or, or willing to serve his term on the board or whatever it might be, that's not God's way. It's just not. In the New Testament, it says the apostles or their delegates, Timothy, Titus, they appointed elders. That's what it says. They appointed elders in churches, and they, they based that on discerning, sometimes even with prayer and fasting, which men met the biblical qualifications to lead in the local church. We're not told whether the churches even had an opportunity to recommend certain men. I, I'm assuming they did, but we don't know. But that's the, the general understanding here, and that represents good leaders. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. 